We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 368 of the Women Six Podcast, proudly a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and join me as always. It's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm, I'm sort of well, nearly well, something like that. <laughs> It's been a while, Jordan. We haven't had an episode in a while. It wasn't entirely planned. Um, I think maybe tough schedules at the beginning of that. Then, as those of you who listen to Cruising for a Bruising will know, I have been uh, totally defeated by COVID-19 for a couple of weeks. Um, which That wasn't fun, but very much on the road to recovery now. And could the timing be better? Maybe it could be a little better, but not by much, because it is it's big time stuff happening now jordan this is the real business end of the off season over the next two to three weeks starting right now how the monkey books retool get themselves back in a position to win back what's rightfully theirs next season it all starts now the nba draft is on thursday we are recording on tuesday right today is tuesday um so Bear that in mind if, like, you're listening to this on Wednesday and everything is completely out of date because the books have, you know, done some book stuff again. Um, but as things stand, the books 
have the 24th overall pick. They only have the 24th overall pick because there will only be 58 picks in the draft because the Bucks are one of two teams who have had a second rounder taken away from them. Not that we need to revisit all of that. But the Bucks, if they're to trade it, they cannot trade it until draft night. But that does not mean that we may not hear some reporting ahead of time on that. There's already rumblings about what they may do, what they may like to do. But all I care about right now is what one man wants to do. And that's you, Jordan. Jordan, first round draft pick. You know, books on the clock in. You were trying to work this out. You asked me. I didn't pay attention. And I nearly went for it. But 50-something hours, the book's on the clock. 56. Okay. Thank you. What would you be doing? What would you be doing between now and then? Where is your mindset at? Not the books. We'll get to that in a minute. Where is your mindset, Jordan Tresky, at in terms of how the books should approach this week? It's a very good question. Um. Because, as you said, they're at a very fascinating point in their trajectory, I guess. They're Mm -hmm. a championship contending team, older. That's, I mean, when you say something like that, it's usually you're relying on experienced players. Their core has been set for a while now since pretty much, you know, making the trade for Drew. Um. Yes, some faces may change. Some already have from their championship squad. Um, But they have long needed some youth. And it's not necessarily about just, you know, making these second round draft night trades that, you know, maybe Jordan Wara turns into something. Maybe he doesn't. Spoiler. He has not yet. He's still playing. No, no he doesn't. <laughs> um, but these little kind of like ancillary moves that we, you know, because we're starved for any draft attention, draft coverage, we're like, hey, they have, let's put our eggs in the Sandro Momo Kellis really trade. And maybe it turns out, you know, jackpot. We don't know. Um, but just something that resembles a, a role player that could play um high leverage minutes and stuff like that, rather than just the kind of what we have generally seen over the last four-ish how, years. How about minutes? Yeah. As like to begin with, not, not even high leverage. How about like draft a player that can play some minutes? Yep. It'd be, it'd be helpful. It would be helpful. High leverage would be um, great. I'm not saying I don't want that, but I would take starting with a player that could play some minutes. To go right back to the like the Jason Kidd criteria of, you know, picking up players. You know, can they wear the jersey? Are they a basketball player? You know, maybe maybe the Bucks need those. to <laughs> maybe the Bucks need to start with some of some of those criteria. Start can they the wear, can floor. they wear the jersey? Are they a basketball player? Can they play minutes? And then then we'll get to high leverage minutes. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, outside it's largely been Dante. That has done that, and you know, no one, no one's done it. I mean, what's the last Bucks draft pick that you liked? Bucks draft pick that I liked that they made a pick, and you were like, "Oh, I wanted them to draft that guy." That's a Brogdon. guy I was like, 
It's the same for me. That's just Sterling not Brown. I think it was, I was Sterling Brown. I was interested in, and I'm like, that's fine. But Brogdon was the the last one I can think of where it's like going into that draft. It's like, oh man, he looks really good. It's exactly the kind of player they needed at that point. If they could get him, it could be really useful. And they went and they picked him, and he was really good. He was rookie of the year. Yeah, like, and I mean, they have carved out the lane that they want players like a Malcolm Brogdon to kind of come in and fill a role. Yeah, well, I well, I go with the latest the latest intel as we record this, which is Jonathan Gavoni's uh, mock draft on ESPN on the morning of Tuesday, the twenty first. <laughs> this is this is what Jonathan Gavoni has to say. The books are said to be exploring a host of options with this pick, with names including Andrew Nembard, Jake LaRave, Jake LaRavia, I believe it is. Christian, this is not Christian Braun, right? It's Christian Brown? Brown. Uh, I'm Brown. not on board that's, with that. I believe that's how Andrew... Yeah, I'm not on board with that. His name is Christian Braun, but if we'll call him <laughs> Christian Brown, like particularly if the books are interested in him, he's, he's made for Brewers fans. Christian Braun. Can't be gone. No, actually Brown. His middle name uh, is actually James. Did you know that? I didn't. That's a Chris Middleton joke. I, I figured it was. Uh, and and Ismail Kamagay bandied about and indicating the team is exploring quote-unquote. So this is a quote older Unquote. players who can help the team win now while their championship window is open. Rival teams say the books have indicated a willingness to explore moving up in the mid to late teens portion of the first round, potentially targeting some of the draft's best seven-footers like Mark Williams and Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler, who I promise countless times this, you know, few days of draft coverage and probably into his rookie season, I am going to call Kessler Walker multiple times. He's just got one of those perfectly interchangeable names where every time in my head I think about him, I'm like, which is which? I don't two know. Two last names. He's got two last names. They're more two last names, two first names in this case, for sure. Yeah. Um, I I mean that's the core of it. EJ Liddell is who's actually mocked by Gavoni to the books. But all of that is the really interesting detail. Team exploring older players who can help the team win now. Not entirely new. It's kind of been the horse MO. I think the other thing that we've seen is big blue chip programs, um, coaches with pedigree. That's tended to be something that it's like the books have really had a type. Honestly, in my opinion, that type is part of why their picks have consistently failed for a while because they're looking at something that doesn't always translate to the NBA. If you get it right and you go, okay, Brogdon, did really well, Virginia, playing under Tony Bennett, older player. We like his game. Sure, that's the home run version of that. But we knew that at the time, and I'm sure the books still know now. Malcolm Brogdon's of the world don't come along in the late first and into the second round. Very often, a player of that caliber, readiness to compete right there, and with some sort of staying power. So them looking at that kind of approach is interesting, and I find it more interesting and I've been thinking in the last few days, this feels like something that may inform 
the way Horst is valuing picks right now. Because if you're looking at older players, you're looking at players to help you now, you're also readily accepting that at a spot like 24 in the draft. The chances of you finding someone who's good enough to do that is probably even slimmer. Like if you're not looking to take gambles, if you're not looking to take a big swing, that is a longer term play. I think that's where you find yourself in a spot of like, am I better using this as a first round pick, which helps me get off a salary or that helps me to take a, a flyer on a player who's being underutilized, but might have potential somewhere else. Or am I going to use this on a 23 year old who might scratch the back of the rotation? And from that perspective, I understand where Horst is arriving at the conclusions he is over and over. I just wonder, is it time that they widen that up a little bit further and just consider some different things? Now, the one thing I will say, I've been cramming like, like it's a last-minute test uh, for the NBA draft today, and probably by the time we talk some more on draft night, I'll be in an even better position on that. From a lot of what I've read, and more than that, mostly I've been watching on guys. The big swing is not jumping out to me in this range of the draft. I'm not seeing the super young guy that I'm like, you know what, maybe it's just time to go for that kind of player, take a few years, because if it plays out, you know, that's what extends your window or breathes fresh life. I don't know, think of a former, someone like... uh, Anthony Simons as mm, like, yeah. you know, that kind of prospect where it's like, yeah, he's not going to, but everyone can see the potential is there. And if you, if you go and you commit to it, it could be a player that over a few years, you're like, that could really hit. Like I personally, and it's not generally my approach to the drafts, but I think where the books are at now, if there was a player like that, not talking about Simons and his skill set, but just that kind of profile of prospect where it's like, is there a lot of risk here? Yes, but there is high ceiling. Like if this was to pan out, this could be a game changer. I'd be making that move because I, I think the books are so limited in their options that they need a flyer. And we, I think we talked about it even in the playoffs and discussing, you know, what's there, what's missing from like, you don't, you're never going to get another Giannis, but Giannis as a move was indicative of a kind of, you know, there's an element of gambling on that and trusting in something and if that pans out, it's not going to pan out at that high level, but the books could really do it like drafting a young player who can be a starter. That would be a game changer just in terms of managing their salary. I mean, I, obviously... I don't know if they're there where the books are going to be in this draft, though. That's well, that's what I'll say first and foremost. To back up your point, we don't even have to look at the, you know, a Giannis-like outcome. They did with Thon, and for... Yeah, I mean, like for all the hysteria that went into that pick and that draft night that I can remember vividly, um, there was a real outline for how they wanted Fon to become an NBA player. He didn't fulfill that, unfortunately, but there was a real, like, it wasn't just like, okay, we're going to take him and then let's see where the chips fall where they may they had an- do you think just on on that right because it's also and i mean this predates it doesn't predate pre we shouldn't say anything predates horse because horse has been around he's been in 
the decision exactly. room too. It's it's probably something I find myself guilty of. We're like, oh, that was a Hammond pick. It's like, yeah, horses like two seats over is what that means. So there is clear differences in how those two guys have drafted. But I'm sure there are some elements of how Hammond would have worked through the process that horse still carries you to this day. Do you think Tom yeah. is a pick they would have made if they knew that was going to be their last lottery pick for the foreseeable future? I know they would have hoped at the time because they're coming off the back of a disappointing year. But I wonder, did they really believe that? Or maybe maybe they didn't. They just treat it as well. This is our last big swing, so let's take it. And if this I think they, out, I think they did, just because that year did not go the way that they. I mean, not to relitigate 2015-16 bucks <laughs> issues. Sure, this is what everyone tuned in for. I don't know yeah, what the exactly. title of the episode but... is yet, but I'm sure it's like <laughs> relitigating the Tom Maker pick. But there was. They were not, that was not how that season was supposed to go by any means. And things came into light that I don't think they prepared having to answer or do all this stuff, whether it was Greg Monroe, whether it was buy in to Jason Kidd as their long term coach for what they were building towards and all that stuff. I mean, that's the thing is that, like, you get, you take a guy like Thon with a, a coach who, I mean, it's, very hard to get breakthrough into Bud's rotation just because he asked you to play defense. Jason Kids was like a black mess because you could say like, oh, like Thon looked good defensively on some nights and stuff like that, but there was something else missing from it all. And it was like, there's still a lot of demanding from Kid and Bud for rookies to have to break through into... High barrier for entry, yeah. Yeah, high barrier for entry, yeah. So I... So I don't think that has been lost. It's just more of the thinking has certainly changed. Where you're not gonna you're not gonna take those a shot in the dark anymore. It's like it's getting real. We have to build towards something because we we think we have something here rather than you know Count, counterpoint to that. What they have longer term is very little. What they have into the back half of Giannis's career with the books in the optimistic view where it's like, oh, Giannis's career with the books is his entire career is major puzzle. You have something like that Jonathan Gavoni detail where we hear about them moving up and you know what? Maybe they should move up. I believe off the top of my head, the next first round pick, they have the option to move beyond obviously moving this year's in draft night is 2029 like if they were to move 2029 <laughs> it's like it's, this is a conversation you and I have been having for a long long time but there is a very fine balance and yes the team has to do 2028 sorry 2028 is the first pick that they will have that isn't tied to a trade so that's the next, like... But 2027 is traded away, right? So that's can't... that's in, uh, with New Orleans. 2026 is owned, but it's a swap with New Orleans. I It's all I... screwed up. So is it 2028 or 2029? That's the next one. They 2028 is the first year that they actually had their pick. 
in and they they have consecutive years of picks there. Yeah. Okay. Like that's a long way away. It's a long way away, and you're trading so deep beyond. Like I think we all we all accept that you're gonna mortgage the post Giannis future to some extent to maximize the present. But my concern with this is that they are going to still have Giannis in his prime or maybe just slightly waning from that and not have the tools to put a championship team around them. I think that's that's the really tough part of it. And they're going to be reliant as things stand. And if this draft plays out, whether they use the pick or they trade it, if it, tra- if it plays out as I expect, it will continue along this road that it'll be free agency. When that time comes, they will be relying on guys being prepared to come and sign max contracts to play with the Milwaukee Bucks because they want to play with Giannis. And there's so much of that that's just like unknown. It's it's such a kind of gamble that I would just like one player, one player, one young player who you can be like, you know what, that guy isn't just on Giannis's timeline because we've talked about that for so long, but is actually, he's heading up what's next. He's heading up the younger group of players who are going to come and support Giannis allow him to continue to be at his best when his game starts to drop off or he just needs to take better care of his body, all of that stuff, basically as he moves into post-prime. And we've seen around the league, like post-prime stars, they could still win championships and they could still be the very best they've been. Like, is Steph Curry the best version of Steph Curry's ever been right now? I don't think so. He doesn't need to be, though, if you can get the right team around him. LeBron could still win championships. They might come with an asterisk. I don't know. But you've got to have the right kind of players around them, the right kind of mix on your roster. And that's that's the thing that it's it's been a concern for me for quite a while. And it's when you get to an, an opportunity like this, it's like, it'd be good if they drafted a player, you know, good young player. Like the ideal is, and the more time has gone on, the more I think we make this sound like something that's completely unattainable because we're just like ah, oh, it's not possible that they could draft a player that has potential and could play now no there's no way that never happens no team it does happen like it's just we have not seen anyone remotely playable for quite some time like Dante Dante is the only person since Brogdon that there was any kind of run and I can say with that that I didn't have major concerns with Dante coming in then he had the majority of his first season wiped out by injury anyway. And we had countless inconsistencies beyond that point before injuries raised their head again. And it's like, if that's the best, that's the best case scenario. Like the draft record is just not good enough, very simply. And we can reframe it and be like, yeah, but look at how maximizing the value from the picks, which is what horse talks about. And he talks about that in Grayson Allen to him as a draft pick. PJ Tucker was a draft pick because you're using draft capital and you're repurposing it. And that's getting maximum value as opposed to doing that. That's all well and good, but this is a really, really interesting juncture. Like we should probably mention at this point, um, by the time some of you listen to this, Pat Connaughton's option, we'll probably have a decision on that. That's on Wednesdays, his deadline. So really we could hear about that from any time from now on, essentially. Uh, Bobby Portis, like, think is the 29th is his deadline regardless we expect both of those guys to opt out 
and we see what happens from there. But there's a possibility you lose one of those guys and you don't have the resources to just go and replace them. And Wes Matthews wants to come back and maybe you keep him, maybe you manage to bring him back this time, but who knows? Maybe he decides to go elsewhere. And we've been down this road and it's like the team needs to get better than last year. Those avenues are not easy and that leads to a tough decision. So, but before we get into it, I, I do think that for me, there is one way where I think it is very obvious and there is interesting details in that Jonathan Gavoni report that point to this. I, I really want the books to draft a young player. I don't know if the options that are right for them are there. I do think there are some options that are very much right. What I'm getting at is I don't think this is a best player available situation. I think this is very much a fit and maybe your greatest need. It's right there. You're not going to get a better opportunity to address this. And if you don't address it now, it's a bigger problem that honestly, I don't know how you you work through it. And addressing it now obviously doesn't mean that it all works out and it solves and you get the perfect solution. But is there anyone for you in a best player available sense that you think could be there in that kind of range? I guess when we say that, I think more it's like, it would be nice if the books had another playable wing, playable forward. It'd be nice to hit another playable player just to get back to what we started off with. But is there someone that you're like, there may not be an obvious spot where this year or two years or three years from now, that's where that person plays or that's what the role is, but they are good and I want them on this team. Are you seeing anyone like that from whatever draft research you've done? I know you haven't been absolutely lost in the draft like you would have been in previous years when you would have had no choice for months and months but to do that. But what are you seeing in terms of the lay of the land right now? Well, to your point of what we were talking about before, of like the taking a longer view with the prospect rather than let's try to get a guy that can come in and hopefully have a role right away, a playable role <laughs> right away. I think this draft, I mean, I don't know if you want to hear this or not. From what my very limited knowledge of it and research of everything like that, I think it is broken towards – horse mo in terms of like there's a lot of guys that kind of fit the bucks mold of whether it's needs or whether they have what they have historically valued in trying to find players around Giannis and stuff like that like there's just a different crop of guys or, or a big crop of guys that i think that are within range of where the bucks are at at 24 that could be um interesting at least so i'm not i don't know if there's anyone i would like you know or a lot more than the of than a lot of everybody else but like guys like ej Liddell obviously has been a big name across bucks twitter jake laravia the rave um I think he is LaRavia. That's what I, what I when I was watching stuff earlier because I was checking that and it seems like LaRavia. So LaRavia, yeah, sounds like a yogurt. Um, he, I'm kind of interested by him, Christian Brown. Um, <laughs> Wendell Moore. I think he's kind of a more second round pick, but he kind of has what the Bucks want to. 
Um, probably missing other guys. Walker Kessler has been kind of just makes sense schematic. He's more of like a scheme fit guy where it's like, oh yeah, you play drop, you're really good at blocking shots. Oh, we, we'll get to it. We'll get to him in a second. So I think there's, <laughs> but I, I overall, I just think there's a lot of guys that are within that range. And I think if they want a experienced player that they think that can hit right away and fill a role, you know, in their rookie season with the, over the length of their rookie contract, I think there is. Um, some players out there that could do that, but it's easy to say that and then have it play out over four years and see where that goes. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, like, I mean, I I think the age profile guys in the mix is very upholstery. Like, it's one thing reporting being, yeah, they're looking for an older guy. My response to that would kind of be, well, good, because they don't have too much choice. And honestly, this is something that it feels like drafts have trended more towards over the past few years. Um, And in part, that is always because, well, the youngest, the most talented guys who are young enough to come out while they're still really young, well, they're going near the top of the draft. You know, they're they're generally more likely uh, to be in the lottery, which when you look at guys mocked in the lottery, that's where you see 18s, that's where you see 19s. Like, you get a lot of that in bunches. So, look, that makes sense. I, For me, the, the only player who's kind of a flyer in terms of being a little bit younger, more raw, but it's like, okay, well, if that panned out, 
could be a game changer is Nikolajovic. I don't think Nikolajovic is necessarily worth the Bucks' only draft pick for a couple of years at this point in where they're at in their trajectory. And I, I do think there are different considerations that have to go into this at this point for this team than generally other teams will worry about or we ever would have before. So, for example, and I'm going to talk to the surprise of absolutely nobody about some big guys in a second. The next time the books have a first-round draft pick, Brooke Lopez is going to be 36. Is he still Brooke Lopez? Is he still is on, he the on the team? team? Yeah. 36. 36 is old in the NBA. But 36 really feels old for bigs. Uh, 34, to be honest, feels old. Like you've got to be pretty special at this point not to have been cycled out of the NBA as a big at like 32 years of age. That's how it feels like. Uh, I don't think there's any worry really of that with Brooke. And I think if Brooke can stay relatively healthy, he probably has as good a chance as anyone in the NBA of still being like on the team, being good and being with the Bucks at 36 years of age. But if they don't replace him now, are you looking to replace him when he's 36? Like when he really is at that point on his last legs or past it? This feels like the perfect juncture where I don't I know teams don't like to draft by need most of the time, but it has a line for the books. There are at least three bigs in the mid to late first, early second, who different skills, and we can talk a little bit about them specifically, but who are Legit seven-footers, actually over seven-foot in two of three cases, and specialize in playing drop. That is unusual. Like, that is not something that you see every year in the draft. It certainly hasn't been the case the past few years. I'm sure, funnily enough, the books have had an influence on that themselves. Like, the books being as good as they have in the past few years, the books winning a championship last year, and then that trickling down and Biggs being like, oh, I see how Brooke Lopez plays defense and coaches being like, yeah, let's like this may be a case of the books have actually helped to create potential replacements by having so much success with Biggs playing that style because you wouldn't have found that kind of guy five years ago. So no. now there are multiple options there. You have the aforementioned Kessler Walker, Walker Kessler. Mark Williams at a Duke. And I mean, on the on the back end of this, with a lot of those physical attributes, although I have question marks over the skills, you've got Christian Coloco as well. There are three options, varying levels of skill, uh, offensively, mostly levels of touch. I mean, to to go to the first two guys I mentioned. Um, Walker Kessler is the defensive player of the year and a dominant, dominant shot blocker. Mark Williams, dominant, dominant shot blocker. Uh, Mark Williams probably, you know, has a little bit of an edge in terms of the ability to come out and defend in space as well. Very, very mobile. The kind of big where you're like, oh, look, he actually does fit the Brook profile. And then you see him move in space. It's like, Oh, okay. And he can do a whole lot more 
that you could never hope to ask for from Brooke. Um, Walker Kessler, part of the intrigue for me is, okay, so great shot blocker. Um, good touch offensively around the rim. I think probably of the bigs in that kind of range for the books, if the books were to take any kind of, okay, now is the time to replace Brooke. He is the one that probably has the best chance of developing a shot. It's nowhere there right now, but in anything I read, it seems like he was a much better shooter before college. And there's a feeling that maybe he could rediscover something there or with a few tweaks, he could become a better shooter than he is now. But let's take him as an example. And in kind of with those three bigs in particular in, in watching and watching video on them, I was struck by the ways I was like, oh, I see how Brooke could help that guy. I see how going up against Brooke in practice every day, sitting on the bench and watching Brooke work could unlock new wrinkles. So to go to one of our favorite GSPN uh, long-running jokes, Brooke could teach Walker Kester how to weaponize the size. You look at him on closeouts, he can defend in space, but to me, you look at him, you're like, he's getting way too far out there, too open guys, like on their toes nearly. Don't be afraid of staying further back and, you know, extending those long pause years out and that being how you're going to contest, which is Brooke's specialty. That's a guy where it's like he could become a better all-round defender by learning from Brooke Lopez. I, I think that's something that they should consider utilizing. Not just, okay, there are guys here who fit a physical profile and certainly have the defensive skills. And none of this is perfect because none of them are as inconsistent as Brooke shooting can be. None of them are as good at shooting space in the floor as Brooke Lopez is right now. And if you're to be really kind of really strict about it, you're like, okay, what's a big like that? What, what does that do alongside Giannis? Is there a place for a big like that alongside Giannis? I could see how you'll arrive at no, but what we've learned and what we've learned with the actual evidence is what's most important for this books team is an anchor defensive center. And a kind of big who can play the way that the team has been best tooled to playing defensively. And that includes getting the best out of Giannis. And Bobby Portis did a, like a fine job of keeping the books afloat and doing what he could and improving significantly defensively last year. But he cannot replicate Brook Lopez or come close to it. And uh, that's got to be a concern for him. It's got to be a concern with Brook's age. It's got to be a concern that if he goes down injured again, it's not only do you not have a player for that, but you don't have someone that you can develop to be that two or three years from now. And that's why for me, it's like, okay, it's not surprising seeing someone like Jonathan Gavoni highlight some centers. And I will, I will say there too, because I haven't had a chance just yet to take a proper look at uh, Ismail Kanagate. That's a, he's a French center as well, who I have not watched yet. I, haven't seen a whole ton of writing out there on, but thought that's interesting. He's kind of second round on most mocks right now, but books might have their eyes on a center. And for me, it makes a lot of sense, not only because the right kind of guys are there right now, but because why would you not want to bring your young center in and have them develop under Brooks wing for a couple of years? If these are Brooks last two years, well, let's, let's get him to help mold his replacement. And I just think generally, the books have a need for a big this year, one way or another. Um, I I don't think even if Bobby comes back 
Like they they went and they traded for Serge Ibaka because they felt like they needed more depth. They needed a different option. Serge was obviously not the answer. I think another option at center is a really good idea generally. And the ideal is, oh yeah, that's someone who could be Brooks replacement. Now, could they go that route in free agency? They could. I just don't think there's a whole ton of guys. Someone I kind of like, I'm not really sure on what his price range would be, is Isaiah Hartenstein. That's someone that I think there's elements of his game that are interesting in terms of molding into a potential replacement for Brook or at least a backup in the interim as well. But we've talked about it over the years. Every time Brook comes up, it's like, there aren't many guys who play like this in the NBA. He's one of the more unique guys just in terms of trying to replicate what he gives. So the potential to get some guys who fit that physical profile, which is rare enough in its own, I think that's to me is something that you've got to really look closely at. And it sounds like as much as we can ever believe anything is leaking out from the books ahead of the draft, yeah. they might be thinking that way too. To, to that point, I, I just want to make it clear all these inklings, rumors, or whatever, it's always prefaced with the rival teams or rival executives. So it's what their feeling is. And I'm sure they've had conversations with the Bucks. That's, Everybody has conversations at this time of year and they explore different scenarios, blah, 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 blah. Um, quote the great John Hammond, everybody's doing their due diligence. Um, but it's also that Gavoni report coming out today is like probably the epitome of we're now 55 and a half hours out from the draft and the Bucks are exploring moving up. They're exploring using their pick. Are they going to trade? Like, it's like the kind of like, okay, yeah, we're really like. There are more specifics in that though, Jordan, than we've had the last that few is, years. That is a good, I, yes, that is true. But I also think that there is more of an expectation because it's very obvious what the Bucks play. This is their MO. This is how, you know, since Bud has come in, they are a drop team. That is part of their identity. And it so happens that there are guys that are within range that can, that have excelled, as you said. Like, I think it's, I don't know if it's necessarily based on workouts or based on what they've heard or whatever thing like that. I do think it's a lot of, when that stuff happens, it's a lot of, well, it's the same thing that we do when we're trying to parse out any information that comes around the Bucks. It's like, oh, I can take this little morsel and, oh, that kind of resembles how the Bucks want to play. Sure. Maybe that kind of thing. So I do think that's where I'm always, I'm, my skepticism has steadily grown since the Bucks have just punted on the draft over the last four years. Um, just because I, <laughs> I, if they use the pick, I will be very shocked. But um, will just, you, at this point, you will still be very shocked. Yeah. If they use it. Yes. And because... is, is that because, for example, so which, it's worth saying at this point for anyone who has even less of an idea about draft prospects uh, this year than Jordan and I do, uh, like Coloco will probably be around. The other two bigs I've mentioned, if that's the focus for the books, they're widely mocked to be gone by the time the books are there, which is why there is talk. Oh yeah. And the books are in conversations to move up to the mid teens, late teens, which is a very exciting prospect for books fans. And I would also dare anyone to show me how they're going to move up. Like, what yeah, are they going to do? How, how do they possibly move up? Yeah. I, 
it's a great idea in theory. I love it. Let's move up to number one. Uh, I don't know how also, to I do cannot, it. I cannot remember the last time that they have moved up in a draft. It's something that you can't really do when you don't have a whole lot of assets. Yeah. If you want to move up, you got to have something someone else wants. Yeah. Even like... I was reading, I was reading the Bobby Marks primer earlier, and I'd forgotten that there's a poison pill on to Grayson Allen's contract if he's traded before July 1st. So you're not even going to get a deal for Grayson done on draft night if you decided you were going to move on from him, yep. which that's something I know between ourselves and Ty and Rohan. We've talked a lot about, you know, well, would the books consider moving on from Grayson? What did he do? Well, still kind you of know what? They're probably not moving on because they're not going to be able to trade him on draft night unless someone wants him so bad that they're going to be paying him more than his current salary to take him on. So that's that's a kind of interesting wrinkle too. And that's one of the few players where you'd be like, oh yeah, in theory, you could move him to move up. But outside of that, I don't know what what is movable that another team would want. I don't know. I don't think there's anything of value. So so is that is that where it comes down for you? They can't move up. Guys like that could be off the board. And so they'll trade out because at that point, the best value move will be to trade out. Or well, do you I, think I, it's just more likely generally that horse, when it comes down to it, will say, yeah, uh, okay, well, oh, I've heard that, you know, Walker Kessler will be available. You know, they have a strong feeling he will be available. And that could work. And we like that a lot. But ultimately, is the new shiny thing as good as, you know, I don't know, player X over here or getting off contract Y over here? That kind of, like, where what do you think is the factor that for him, with the way he goes through this, will motivate that? Do you think it is just going to be as pragmatic as, in this specific case, this is going to be how it is? Or are we just relying on, at this point, there's a bias to, he prefers guys who are already in the league rather than that having to do the legwork of a draft pick. I think it's all of it. I mean, it's it's the – if there is a, a player or players that they have they really like that are taken ahead of 24, I do think there is the inkling that they would probably reload their first-round pick to get, I don't know, two future seconds that they will eventually move that into trades at – a trade deadline in the future, you know, that kind of thing of just like the constant reloading and stuff like that. But I also like the, where I'm at in terms of like the draft is that if they do make their pick, they're going to feel it on the other end some way this summer, as soon as free agency starts, it can, could be either one of Bobby or Pat leaving. Cause as, we just, as in, if they draft a big or if they draft a big, but, Bobby's gonna go, or if they draft a Christian it could be, Brown, it could be any that could be like a pot replacement in that way. I don't know if it's necessarily just a player. I just think it's like just because with the tax, it's just it's a cost. You got to fill your roster though, like oh, exactly. But I I know I just... what you're saying, and I hate it. Is what I'm is what I'm countering it. I hate it. It's it's not the way. Like if they're what are they serious about? It's like, you're going to have to cost yourself. You're going to have to spend a lot of money. Like, this is not going to be cheap. But you've got Giannis. You've got the building that sells out every night. Don't get me started on the Deer District and NFTs and the cluckery and all of it. But 
it's like what are you what are you here for what are you doing why did you buy did you buy a team to be profitable because if so that was dumb don't buy a sports team to be profitable they rarely are they're not easy to just like make money from they're a plaything of the rich and here you are you've got one that is about as much fun to play with as they can ever possibly be so continue to invest like that it's I, I think the interesting thing with this is the Warriors coming back and winning a championship, which congratulations to the Warriors. We didn't actually acknowledge the fact that like NBA basketball has since finished. I thought it finished last year. That's what Jordan had told me before. Um, That's what I was but, told by rival executives. <laughs> the Warriors winning, having come through the few barren years where injuries were a factor and they slump and they, they do go through a draft process and they get some high picks. They don't really work out and they're Andrew Wiggins in and we all kind of go, Andrew Wiggins. And then at the end of the day, they continue to spend. They were like, are we good right now? Not really. Have we still got Steph Curry, Clay Thompson? Yes. Just Let's just keep spending. And different market, vastly different amounts of money up for grabs. But a consideration that they have to have is if you own the Warriors right now, you know, it's probably never going to be as good again as it is with Steph Curry there. And that is the exact same kind of consideration that applies to the books with Giannis. It's like what you've got now is never going to be better again. So yeah, if you take a draft pick and then you're also bringing back Bobby, you're bringing back Pat, this is going to get really, really expensive. And I know there's people minding owners, you know, pennies on Twitter who'll be at me and they'll be like, oh, but you know exactly how much that will cost in the luxury tax. It's like, yeah, they decided to buy a sports team. You didn't, I didn't. So we don't worry about that. It's This is an opportunity to upgrade your roster, the draft pick, if you use it. It could cost you more in the now for something that might take a couple of years before it makes your roster better. But if you don't use it now and you punt it for two second rounders or three second rounders, because that's cheaper now and it gives you more tools to, you know, flip a player here, flip a player there, which is also, let's be honest, sure, it's a path to improvement, but it's also the easiest way to manage your finances too. Yep. Like now that you've said that, I I have just this horrible vision that they get like three second rounders like maybe they draft like Coloco one, but then the other two just they get added to like what the Dante Hall essentially became, and it's just building up to the next deal where horse is like, here's four second rounders to get this thing done. Which that's it's it keeps the show on the road, but it also it does not get us anywhere bigger or better in the longer term. Where it's like, take your pick, take your pick and pay the money. And maybe, maybe you get something much greater than you could have imagined out of it. Maybe you get to do something that is closer to not quite two tracks because you can't have two tracks going with only one pick and um, when it's the 24th overall pick. But that is where I know what you're saying, but I just like, why are we all invested in it? If that is, if that's how this is going to play out, what is the point? What is the point? That's, that's actually wasting the window. And there'll be so many people who are going to be quick to be like, no, it's not because they're getting a player who's more ready to compete right now. It's like, you know what? You can get a player ready to compete right now, but you can also have someone who could be that guy in two years 
So you don't have to worry about, we can't find anyone or we can't afford this player. Who's about to be a free agent. Like Pat Connett and Bobby Portis about to be free agents. They're a problem. And they're a problem for the luxury tax, not because they've gone through the natural cycle. They've improved, which is what you hope for. And now they're due more money. That's, that's all of what you hope for. But if you're, if you're running your team in the way you'd like to run your team, Jordan Wara is good. And he has taken a step up to where his contract has come along. And you're like, he is cheaper than Pat Connaughton and he is ready to take Pat Connaughton's role. So that is our saving. Pat moves on. Jordan Wara moves up a spot in the pecking order. And we're drafting a guy to move into his spot. Or we're, we're looking for a Pat Connaughton-esque signing as in, you know, who's a guy, 13th man on some other roster. Maybe there's something there that's on tap that we can bring the most out of. Like that's a logical progression and none of it can run that smoothly i'm not trying to have unrealistic expectations for it but you've got to be prepared at this point with this team they've got to be prepared to really pay like really pay the tax it's not just oh look we're a luxury tax team it's like yeah you are but do you want to win or not like that's why you're a luxury tax team if you don't want to be a luxury tax team you know get rid of everyone and have the lowest the lowest salary in the league and then everyone will know oh they actually don't care about anything i don't even know why they're here but of course they want to win why else does any owner buy a sports team at this point it's the only reason yep i just if that's it so if we get some sort of version of that it's i think that would be the most depressing because sure picks can picks can whiff like chances are more likely than not if they draft someone they're probably not going to be good. We've got recent books draft history to back that up. But there's always the chance. And it's it's a lottery ticket that you don't have otherwise. And it is, there is a cost to it, but it is your cheapest in to finding something game-changing that isn't going to be there for you at any other point. And that could be, oh, look at this guy who's a starter and has broken out way beyond their expectations a third star like if you find something that's like the real kind of head in the clouds version but there is also just how are we going to replace brooke lopez two years with the way we're going to be constrained financially they're not so you you kind of have to do it now or try to do it now at least or you'll just be living with oh uh we're gonna have to do something really kind of different and weird and you end up like uh I don't know, the Rockets just before Harden left where like there's Capella's gone, there's no centers and it's like, okay, this is we're doing something really radical here, you know this is really some real avant-garde stuff we're trying out here because we're going to be innovators where part of it is also what other options have we got? (laughs) You know, you've exhausted your other routes to upgrade your roster and to address some of the holes in your roster. Uh, That's why the Strat and this summer feels like an inflection point just because where they're at, where they're the contracts of their core are not just Brooke. It's obviously Giannis. He is, can opt out in 2025 drew Chris has his player option coming up for the 2023, 24 season, right? After or that's it's either right as the CBA ends or the new one begins, whatever it is. Um, and to your point is that like, 
okay, we have gotten, you know, as as I said before, we've seen the second round flyers, the Sam Merrills, Jordan Wara, um, before that, um, not even there's not even that a, a lot of them, but it's like that kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll see what this is, and maybe they play a lot of time with the, the herd and see if they can develop that way. And it's like, yeah, there, there is some use to that, but does it make you a better team? Does it give you another track to build on within your, you know, the top part of your roster and stuff like that. And it, to this part, it has not. And so that from that perspective is that if you want to have some kind of, you know, long-term view within your roster that's just beyond like we're at win now mode at all costs well until it figuratively not uh literally <laughs> um you have to invest into the first like that's your best time to, to to make that pick to make to look at a prospect that can help it's, you it's also win now mode like at a, yeah. at a certain point it's like you want to win now okay and you're managing like the short term of your roster you've got a center who is going to be retired like going to be retired in two three years yep. so you've got to work that one out and it's it's a part of it it's like that is already a weak spot on your roster that you're not actively working against your chances of winning now like this is not oh they need a guy for five years from now it's like they need a guy for a year from now, from two years from now, a guy who's playable like in a very consistent way a year from now, and who could be really good two to three years from now. Like that's, for example, at center, what you're looking for. That is not like real long-term planning. Like that is part of winning in the short term. You're barely getting into medium-term plans. You can't just overlook that continuously, continuously, continuously. And I do think one way or another, like maybe they just, maybe they can't get any of the bigs they feel are suitable for that in this draft. And that's fair enough because moving up is tough. You don't have assets. That's the position you find yourself in. So let's say you're enamored with, God, I sound like Woj on draft night now. Um, You're enamored with Mark Williams, but you can't get up to 14 or 15 or something to draft him. Well, that is what it is. It's not all you can do about that but they're probably going to have to try and find something in free agency. And you don't have a whole lot of options available to you. And if you want to keep Bobby and Pat for whatever reasons they might be, and then you're like, okay, but we do also need to invest in a center because this is a problem that's there now, but coming up even faster on the horizon. It's like one way or another, you've got to, you've got to do this. I don't know. You're, I, I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was feeling super, super excited and optimistic about the draft coming into this. Not for the first time, Jordan. <laughs> You've made me feel worse about it, though. I just. I. I don't know. I am so. Maybe I'm too tied to reality and just what this has been, but I just don't see any of this changing um, until they show it that they change it. That's that's more of where I'm at because I just think they have they can look at their process and everything like that and it's won them a championship. Congrats! Like that that that's not nothing. That is the whole reason, as you said, why 
you invest in a team, why you become a general manager like John Horst, why you become a head coach, like why all this vision and long-term planning in terms of like trying to build a championship contending team. That's why you do it all. But I also think, I don't think they, I think they can look at that and be proud of where they are at and how they have built around Yadis and had, had helped him stay um, too and say, this is, we're going to continue down this track. We're going to, we have found success with it. Why reinvent the wheel? So from that perspective, I just think, I just, I don't know until they, until they show it, until they make that, that pick in the first round and not just have it be, you know, okay. I know what horse said the other day and how it's like, yeah, there is value in, you know, not just having picks and stuff like that. You can, flip them into a PJ Tucker or whatever the case may be, but that's not where they're at right now. That's not, that's not where they're at. It's going to, it goes by quicker than you imagine. And all it takes is, yeah, we had, we could say that the bucks would have made the finals this year. If Chris got healthy, but they didn't, he was not like, it's when you resort to that game, it's like, then what are, what are we left with when. Uh, and the, know, the thing for that is, and I agree. They would have. They would have won a championship if he's healthy, but he wasn't. And they were still pretty good and they were close yeah. enough where it's like, you know, something on the margins there and you could have been you could have been there. And that's going to be the case again this year. It's going to be the case again the year after that. And it's like it's it's where these moves can matter now as much as it's it may seem easier to be like oh, proven role player over here. Let's go get this guy. The reality with that, too, is. And the thing that has hurt the books in a major way is the guys they've drafted have not been good. And so you're not keeping the guys who are on controllable contracts onto their second deal. And the problem that you have then is even if you're the best team in the league at, you know, finding money, essentially finding player on the scrap heap over here, who's going to come to Milwaukee, going to be rehabilitated, Bobby Porter style, become a fan favorite and a key contributor in a championship team. You do that, then that guy's due to be paid. And generally within one to two years, because you're getting them on a flyer. You have no money. No one wants them in the first place. You're getting guys on one-year deals. And this is now, we're into kind of three or four years of talking about this, where it's like there's there's never the kind of um, year-to-year consistency that you can lean on and be like, oh, well, the whole roster is back this year. No need to worry there. And there won't be because you're in a position where four to five guys are going to be playing year to year. And if you really did a right, the, the best possible job in getting the best players on those year to year deals, guess what? You're probably not going to have them back the next year because they're now at your price range. Yep. And like, that's, that's a, that's a scenario where things just spiral out of control. And as much as Horst is seeing value in that and you get the right guys that can work out. It's also, there's just, there is an end point on how long you can get away with that for where if you draft a guy, you're like, Oh, look at this rookie. who's really good. And we can play and we, we don't have to worry about paying him for three years. And even then we know that the mechanisms are there that we can pay him what we need to pay him and we can keep him, and we can go beyond that. Like that's just something they have not had the luxury of and that hurts them. And when you zoom out and you look at their team, it's like, I don't want to say they won the title ahead of their schedule because Horse had started to make moves that were very much pushing everything all in to try and get it. 
Um, not just the year they won the championship, but the year prior to that. But they didn't win it when their best guys were 31, 32, 33, 34. That's, that's kind of notable because they won at a point where we're also happy to win it. Everyone's delighted. But then they must all look around and even in the front office must look around and be like, hey, it's not like we just won our one championship and that's it and we move on. It's like, this is set up for us to keep going, to go multiple, multiple, multiple because of where our best players are at. But we don't really have the resources to do that easily. Like, that's that's where that is a real, real challenge. And that's where that can get frustrating. And every year that you don't find a young player who can extend your timeline, give you something else, give you something cheap, it gets harder and harder to ever get back there and win another one. And Giannis is getting better every season. I hate to use the Warriors as an example because they're they're an anomaly in they team are. building. Everything broke for them at every point in their journey. possible way, and the fact that they have reloaded and won a championship when after losing Clay to injury not once but twice, Steph being out for all of that you know interim period of like 2019-20, Draymond kind of putting things together, but then there was always the talk like, well, what if they move on from him? Blah, blah, blah. Like, they, it wasn't a clean process two years that they would, you know, go from being out of the playoffs to, you know, winning it all. But along with paying and going, you know, the full limit of like, we have a championship team. We're going to exhaust all of our resources because we know we can and try to get back at, you know, climb the mountain again. You're looking at guys like Kevin Lo- or Kevon Looney, obviously Andrew Wiggins in his just kind of reclamation project um, took flight <laughs> beyond anyone's imagination, but Jordan Poole, it's, it's not the fact that like. Go back to guys you know, who don't even matter now. Like I'm from the first cycle. Um, Patrick McCaw. Um, Jordan Bell, like throughout their journey, they've had, yeah, they've had second rounders. They've had late first rounders. They've had guys they're just picking up off the scrap heap. Guys they're trying that show something in G League or Gary Payton this year. Yes, exactly. Former Buck. Former Buck, a guy that, like, and we've obviously gone through the various iterations of that kind of journey. Guys who become real players of use, like Gary Payton, Christian Wood, those kind of players. Like at this point, is there is there scope for the books to get those players? And then it goes back to the point I made. It's like if you got one of them and they really took off quickly, which Christian Wood kind of did. Like Christian Wood looked good. Um, people were overreacting at the time about him, but he did look good. But he was that meant he was almost immediately pricing himself out of being a book. Like uh, it's that's the problem, and I, I guess it's also it the thing. Out, the Warriors that, can you know, the Warriors could do a lot of that because they can rely on being a free agent pull. You know, they they can draw in free agency, and they know they can do that. But the interesting thing for the books is, as much as we can be skeptical forever about any major star being like, I want to come and take X amount of dollars to be a Milwaukee book. The books have never given themselves a chance to test that 
while being good. Yeah. Like at this point, this summer, not some of the free agents this summer. No, no, no. Some of them I wouldn't want, Jordan. But in theory, if the Bucks had like a max spot open and they're the champion last year and they're as good as they are and Giannis is there and Giannis is locked in for years to come, could they draw now? Maybe. They've never had that opportunity too and that's kind of worked against them. That's where someone like the Warriors, they've had every break and because of that, they haven't had to trade picks like Horstens had to because you can keep those picks and you can take those flyers. Now a lot of those guys actually turn out to be playable. Um, it might only be for a year in some of the cases, but it feels like the, more than any other team, they're an example of like McCall is, is a very good example of a player who's like just non-factor doesn't matter anymore. But there was a time like there was one year where he's a real NBA rotation player and the Warriors seem excellent at like getting guys. They might only be one year players, but they will get that year out of them and they could then go and burn out somewhere else. I don't know. Is that a culture thing? Uh, I don't know what exactly is going into identifying that, but that is where it's tougher for the books. Well, and specifically with Poole, like I remember when he was drafted, it was very much like, I remember, I think even some like, you know, key draft guys that do this way more better than I will ever do in my life. (laughs) were like, I I thought he was going to go undrafted and the Warriors took him, I think he was like 28th or something like that. It's stuff like that where if you if you feel like you have a vision with this player and he wows you in workouts, he's a great interview, all that stuff, and you just think this guy is not just a, a good player and fills role, but kind of fills, you know, or can be within our culture, whatever you want to call that, just because, I mean, that's just going to be thrown around <laughs> over the next couple of days and weeks. Just do it. Don't, don't try to go for a single or anything like that. It does. I'm not even talking about like if it's a project player or stuff like that, because at this point and where this draft is at, like you have to just make the plunge of, of (laughs) there's a first round guy that you like, and you think he's going to be there and he's going to fulfill like what you want out of the draft. Just take him. You want the books to just be like Hunter Renfro and only hit dares. Yes. It's strikeouts or home runs, and that's all we're interested Rob Deer. in. Rob Deer, fear of the Rob Deer. Um, I that's just where I'm at, just because it's like you can't rely on guys taking pay cuts all the time, or you know, I know that comes with wanting to play for a championship team or a team that you think is going to buy for championships all the time and all that stuff like that, but like. Just these little like ancillary things around the edges, whether it's Christian Wood, Mamadi Diakite, or those guys of like that kind of not really wood, but like that kind of stature at the time when they bring them in. Mm-hmm. And hoping that like, oh, maybe something goes right and they become a backup. They can be a protege to Brooke and you know, best case scenario, whatever the case may be. That's it just hasn't worked at that point. Like at some point you have, have they ever point. really tried though? Like seriously, I, do you believe I don't, I'd be on the record as Diakide is an example. I don't, I don't know what the point of Diakide ever was. I never saw the potential. It's like he's six, nine. What are they? What is the vision they had? Like I, that's an example of a player 
that actually to me it feeds into their draft strategy where I get kind of concerned about some of the ideas that have been there for the books in terms of a scouting or a player like there's there's no player development pipeline like you you ran through that earlier it's like whether it's guys in terms of finding something and working through the herd like they have there is nothing nothing to show for this for years that is a problem like there is no other team in the NBA that probably has it to the extent the books have it. There is no sport on the planet where that is not a problem for a team where you're just like, hey, they can't develop young guys. They're not drafting anyone of any value or they're not even drafting guys who don't seem to have value and turning them into something. Like, that is remarkable. And Eventually, not in a, the rubber not in a good the way. Like, it's completely inevitable. And it's, it's how, you then get to the playoffs and it's like, oh, the bench isn't quite what it needs to be. And that's tough and there's a lot of bad luck. Or if you have an injury it, but... to a guy like Chris and you're like, well, our roster, I think even Horst said it in his press conference, it's like maybe we had one big too many and we didn't have enough wings and stuff like that. And it's like, of course, context matters and why that was and why they went for their lack of trade. But Part of that, and I think we even talked about at the time, that comes down to the draft too, because you're it's one less avenue that they you know, that you take away from building your roster. And you just you're not gonna be able to do it all the time in free agency. You're not gonna be able to do it when guys go and drafted and maybe flash in the pan and some guy, you know, becomes the next Gary Payton or next Christian Wood, and you hope to be that team that can find them and find, you know see something in them that no the other 29 teams in the NBA do not see. That's just that, like, that's not for, that's just, that's not how you do it. That's, that's not a consistent way of, of building up what you want from a team that you think is going to play for championships year after year. Yeah. And even in coming into this draft, I think one of the things for me that I found you will know this. You and I have done draft coverage in many different guises for a number of years. And there are definitely player types. Happy anniversary, I... by the way. <laughs> yeah, it, I guess that's probably right around now. Yeah. Today? It could be today. We'll need to look that up. Um, but there are archetypes that I do not like. There are players I'm drawn to naturally. Um, I definitely have some types that I mean that beyond like just the general, oh yeah, the big guys element of this. Like in, in draft <laughs> prospects, there are certainly types of prospects who stand out and there are types of players I, I don't really like. And for example, I was looking at, um, I was watching some Ty Ty Washington stuff and he's a player that in I think a lot of other years, I just be like, no thanks. No thanks. Like might Might be pretty good, but no thanks. I don't feel like that anymore where the books are at because yeah. i see someone like that and i'm like you know what if he if you think he is a good enough version of the type of player he's going to be that could be a really important piece for the books like a guy who uh could create offense for himself really a jump shooter generally i mean mid-range game a three-point shooting and a, and a very good passer as well it's like for any flaws that might be there for things that stylistically don't mesh with how I think ideally I like basketball today or how the Bucks might play. Like, I'm just using him purely as an example, but it's like 
for the books, it's like if you think he's the guy and he's available, draft him. Like if if there is a guy who you're just like, this guy is going to be a real NBA player. This guy is going to be able to do whatever it may be. If you're like, there's, he's going to be, uh, say top twenty percent kind of score passer, whatever it might be. Like if there's anyone they see that they feel is going to fit in, just take them because you do need good players. Whether they feel that is that's the thing. I don't know if I feel that. And uh, to me, I'm like, this is a big opportunity for the books in terms of fit, in terms of trying to replace Brooke. Doesn't mean it works out. Like <laughs> replacing Brooke is going to be very difficult. And we know that already. Like it's, it's something that in a lot of ways they really looked into in the first place. But if Mark Williams or Walker Kessler could be that and you can get them, well, now is certainly the time to try. Now is the time to be like, Let's see if we can mold someone into that and we can keep this because it's that's that's the first one of the junctures that's facing the books. And they're gonna have many more of them as Chris gets older and Chris's health is already I mean that creates questions of its own. I know we did see it, but did you watch all of the horse press conference no, the other day? Like I know we saw him slip at the time when the injury happened. Um, but Horst did actually describe it as, you know, he, he slipped on a wet spot, which I thought was something you could do about that. But it is also just whether it's interesting, whether it's just the worst look. We've now had Chris have two Twice. very bad and poorly timed injuries from slipping on a wet spot in his book's career. Um, I shouldn't I shouldn't sidetrack us onto injuries. Horst was being weird about injuries, though. Did you see when he was asked with George Hill and whether he'd had surgery? I read the response, but did not see the. It was it was like Aaron Rodgers saying he'd been immunized. Yeah, it was like it was essentially oh, you know, there's various different ways that we can uh, go about that, and yeah, it's been dealt with. Just tell if he's had surgery, why can't you tell us? Oh yeah, he had surgery. He's now recovering. He's gonna be fine for opening day. Like it, I, that's the point where I don't understand how that is information they need to keep to themselves, other than that they're probably desperately trying to dump George Hill yet again. But even then, like teams are going to look for his medical records. They're going to ask, like, oh, how is your back and your oblique or whatever it was? Like all oh, the very, yeah, you know, the various ailments that you yourself were speaking about in the playoffs. Anyway. So if a trade is made, I'm getting the feeling, uh, I don't like it, but I'm getting the feeling that you are not banking on a trade that will give us, oh, look, they got that player and that player is going to slot into the rotation like this and we can at least all you know, hang our hat on that and imagine how that looks next season as much as you might be preparing for. Oh, look, they got multiple second round picks and maybe a throw-in player. Is that is that how you're viewing it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you personally, again, to go back to you, Jordan Tresky, do you think that is maximizing the value of a first round pick? No, I do not. Like how, how many seconds, if this is a route and it could be, how many seconds would you want to see for a 24th overall pick in this year's draft? 
That's a good question. I mean, last year they got how many did they get for the uh, Yorgios special from Indy? They got like three, and that was yeah, thirty. So. Right, that was for thirtieth. No, not thirtieth. Um, whatever it was, um, it wasn't wasn't far off. Yeah, it wasn't far off from where they are because they weren't the best team, st- uh, record wise, but. I think two or three is probably what you can expect. I mean, we've already uh, seen some teams. Two trade. or three is a difference, though. It is a difference. And also, you're working with two less seconds this year because yep. some, someone jumped the gun as uh, the NBA Someone opened their mouth. Opened. <laughs> we have accepted the NBA's decision, and we will move on accordingly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just... <laughs> I just... I'd want three minimum, honestly. I don't. Ex- I say three minimum, I'm not expecting more than three. But I do think swapping out a first-round pick, considering this team is not going to see a whole lot of them for a very long time for two second-rounders, that's not okay. Yeah. Particularly the way the books use their second-rounders which is they treat them like nothing. They go, how many have we got? Let's put them all together. <laughs> that's, that's how they do business with second like, like, oh, when got, you go, we've got six here, have six. It's yeah. like, it's, we're just, we're proving we're giving you something. Just take like it you, and give us what we want. That's the book. approach. The county, the county fair, the state fair, and you're playing games and you're like, oh, I have six tokens. I see um, this fuzzy stuffed animal. Can I have that? And the guy says, well, it's six tokens. And you're like, okay, here's six tokens. <laughs> and then you're out of tokens. And there you have to you spend $70 playing these games that are rigged because the you shoot a basketball and the hoop is as big as the basketball. Like, it's that kind of like stuff like that where it's like, oh, okay, you're just reloading it to just spend it later then you have nothing left and then you know you do it all over again jordan you always brighten up my day uh, <laughs> when you you bring your milwaukee book stakes to the table i mean, love to be i'd love to be proven wrong i want I, the, the draft is normally if are you daring them are you daring them to prove i wrong dare i dare the bucks <laughs> come at me uh, no, um, I I love the draft. I love the draft. It's my favorite part of the year. Possibilities are endless. I just like the, I normally like the discourse around the draft just because I think it's a very, there's just nothing like it. And even though it, it it's more often a crapshoot than anything, um, you know, uh, than anything, I just think it's, it's just fascinating because you can see how people or, or how different teams prioritizing building their rosters or stuff like that. Like there's just a little bit of everything that can kind of like satisfy my NBA fandom, but the Bucks have punted on the draft for the last few years. And yes, they've won its championship and all that stuff and memories I will have for the rest of my life. But it's also like, they could have more to... memories though. Let's build more. Exactly. Let's, let's like draft the players to help you and draft someone with a first round pick than this, you know, 
spending all your tokens and getting a fuzzy husky. It, listen, fuzzy huskies. That's that's not sly fuzzy huskies. Um, <laughs> the other thing that is interesting, just from an organization, just from a marketing standpoint, when we consider the books, the NBA champion books, how they were built, how they're presented. Chris Milton was not drafted by the books, but he's there from very early in his career. Giannis was drafted by the books. And we have all grown used to these guys are Milwaukee books, true and true. Like they may as well be day one books. No one else wanted them. Not exactly true in Giannis's case, as time has revealed to us. Yeah, but no, uh, no one. But but you know, there's an extra element them. of yeah. There's an element of romance that gets grown into. Not only did the books win a championship, but they kind of won it with their homegrown stars. And in spite of that, there is not even the slightest bit of desire or effort to be like, maybe we should draft some guys and kind of build around the next wave of that like that is the interesting thing and it's, it is frustrating too and it's it takes something away as a fan one of the things that is always fun through a season is if you've if you've got a rookie it's like oh they've drafted a rookie let's see how he does let's see if he's on assignment how he's doing there minutes here or there and ton is a great example that i think all book fans would go to because ton the experience was so varied right at the extremes but like that is a, one hell of a drug when Tom Maker would come into a game and look really good. And you'd have that to get excited about. Like, I will return to, like, just crapping all over Summer League in a couple of weeks. But Tom is an example of a time where Summer League was exciting because yes. you're like, okay, like, <laughs> he's got to do something one way or another. He's going to do something. He could be good. He could be terrible. But he's there. He's something for us to be invested in. And part of that is that just fans like a new player. But there is also, you like to see the future. You know, the future, we used to focus on owning it. Now, now we're built for this. John Horse is like, he's looking <laughs> at the window. He's like, oh, see how hot this is? Why would I keep draft picks? So let's yep. trade them. It's like, it's, it's grim. It's grim. Let's. I, I really want them to draft a player. The whole reason, again... there's but, uh, Sorry, the one thing I'll say on this is I have not found a player that I really strongly dislike yet. May, I'm not saying I will not find that player between now and Thursday and then the books will actually decide to draft that player. But they could draft kind of anyone in the range right now. And I would talk myself into being like, oh yeah, well, if he pans out, he could help them just by being good. You know, if any player could be good... That would be a good thing for the books. There are guys I like more, like there are players you haven't even talked to. I, I like EJ Liddell quite a lot. Like that's really interesting in terms of the the books. Obviously, PJ Tucker and what he brought and losing him has reframed that. But the reality is the books have been chasing that kind of player for years, yes. long before Tucker and possibly long after. Liddell could be a guy like that. Like in watching anything of him, I'm like, oh, that's like what's his ceiling i don't know but he looks like a 15 year nba player it's like yeah. i can imagine that guy like with old man game still getting it done at 36 37 uh, that's something that if you could pick guys like that out and you're like oh that's go draft them they're useful like that's where you know you can bank on something a lot of guys where if they drafted i'd be like cool i can get on board with this let's let's make this guy good i've probably never been more open-hearted more willing to embrace the first round pick 
let's all get behind them, you know? Let's all get behind them and make them good. But they've got to draft. Yes. Got to draft them first. Any surprises um, expected from you? Pat or Bobby, they're both going to opt out, right? Yeah. Any feelings? Don't know if you've been reading any tea leaves, but any any feelings on how all of that is going to progress over the next couple of weeks? Um, will Pat do a social media blackout? Will... <laughs> Um, I don't know. I still think it's probably Pat says Bobby Lee's. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Um, we we will see. Obviously, if they do draft a big or anything, but and it doesn't have to be like the two don't have to be mutually exclusive at all because, as we said, like they need a Brook replacement regardless. I do think them looking at bigs or even forwards, like even if it was a guy like EJ Liddell. That could spell a shift in their thinking in what their kind of auxiliary forwards are going to be like. Um, anything else? No, no. I think we'll find out over the next 54 and a half hours, nearly there. Will we will we be disappointed? Will Wooden Six celebrate its seventh birthday? Yeah, seven bucks will blow out the candles and stomp on our cake. Like no happy birthday, win and six. This pick is up for grabs. Exactly. Win and seven. No. That was not <laughs> win and seven was not to be, Jordan. So no. um okay, you will be hearing more from Jordan and I. Yes. You'll be hearing more from Ty and Rohan. And you'll be hearing more from all of us collectively, maybe even Andrew Snyder. So to lay things out, I think the current plan is Ty and Rohan will have pod a little bit closer to draft time. Maybe Thursday morning, possibly Wednesday with some, I guess a, a look through any more specifics, any late-breaking intel that may emerge in mocks or any other reporting related to the books. On Thursday night, this is this is an exclusive, I believe, as of now. As of the time I'm saying it's exclusive, maybe it's announced other places by the time you hear it, but I'm doing my best to give you, yes, you, the news first. Um, you may have joined us on Playbacks to watch books games for her to talk about Playbacks. Uh, playback is it's a platform that allows group of people to watch a game together generally um and with that we've been watching games and some combination of all of us gspn hosts have been up on stage and we kind of talked through the games it's been a lot of fun people chime in in the chat we're planning on doing one on thursday night for the draft we will be doing a watch along of the nba draft what could go wrong what kind of pain could we possibly experience with a Milwaukee Bucks draft night watch along, but we will be doing that. Um, all details for that will be in our Discord. So if you're a member of the Discord, you'll find it there. If you're not a member of the Discord, go to gspn.info. You can follow the link there for access to the Discord. 
And additionally, come Thursday night, we will be tweeting out links to it, I'm sure, as well. Um, so, yeah, if you're at home watching the draft, locked in on all things books, feel free, jump in and join us. Uh, watch along with us and a whole room full of books fans, and we'll all celebrate or commiserate together as the night goes on. Who knows what John Horse has in store for us on draft night. But, yeah, we'll be... We'll be in for the long haul, or maybe he'll make a pick immediately and we'll be like, okay, well, we'll just finish this. But the plan is to be in it for the long haul, and across the night, you'll probably get a, I don't know, shift changes, a rotating cast of GSPN hosts. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. Should be a lot of fun. After that, be more pods later in the week. Um, Jordan and I will probably do something on Friday, looking back at whatever the book's did got something else in mind you know for not too long after that too maybe it might be a weekend pod we'll see we'll see um i'll talk with jordan i'll talk to some more people but there's there's some content on the horizon that we'll probably cover so until the next time thanks again to all of you for listening make sure you subscribe to your step podcast network wherever you get your podcasts you should also sign up to Substack, gspn.substack.com. Um, you'll get all of our books writing, all of the Cruising for Bruising podcasts and Master Brew leaderboard posts. They'll all come straight to your inbox. Again, gspn.info, that gets you basically shortcuts to all of our stuff. All of the links are there. Nice, easy way for you to get on top of all of that. We're on Twitter at winning numerical value six podcast. I'm Adam McGee, numerical value 11. Jordan is at Jordan Tresky. No numbers. No numbers. <laughs> he is just, he's not even one of one. He is just Jordan Tresky. <laughs> that does it for us for now. Thanks again for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.